the point that Peter is talking about, we're not going to avoid suffering. For some reason, we've been taught that, you know, we can have the absence of suffering. But Peter, over and over again, talking to first century Christians is like, this is how you thrive, not just survive in a suffering world. And today, you know, the things are brought up, formula, and if you need to know how to make formula, I talk to the older ladies, they've got a recipe, okay, they know how to do it, okay, and we all survived, don't just eat caro syrup by itself, because then you'll be going to the bathroom, okay, but we won't get into that, but um, to, know how, to know how to be prepared, to know what to think and be focused on, all those kind of things, and we have a choice to choose to arm ourselves to be prepared And you know I'm going to chase rabbits, okay? I'm not trying to pick on somebody. But anyway, look at your stocks later, okay? You, all right? All right. But <laughs> we're not talking about that kind of prepare. But we can choose to arm ourselves with the mind of the world. Again, I don't think it's bad. God tells us to, that the, the wise are prudent and they prepare. They see danger, okay? But I think a lot of people have gone over this side and they're not doing the biblical worldview, looking at it through God and having the balance. So we can choose to survive with the way the world thinks, or we can choose to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ. Your action step today is arm yourself with the mind of Christ. How can I be prepared for suffering and in these times, and Peter's talking to them, arm yourself with the mind of Christ. And no, your point's are not going to spell out the word mind. They're going to spell out the word think. All right? Got you on that one, didn't I? Okay. Um, you think with your mind, okay? That was that was deep, Pastor. Not really. Okay. To this point, uh, we've been focused on believers scattered and suffering, facing death, uh, suffering unjustly, and then we get here, and and the Scripture says, therefore. Therefore, since you follow the example of Christ, since you are going to suffer and you suffer with hope. How shall we then live? What is the point of suffering? Knowing how to suffer is the key of our growth and our joy. Suffer for, suffer for Christ, suffer to, to be different, to be sanctified, to be set apart. We, um, we, we see this in the example of Christ. We need to look at Christ. He suffered unjustly to set an example. And so that brings us here to 1 Peter 4, verses 1 through 6. Since, therefore, Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they were surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. A lot of stuff to look at there today. Let's go back to verse 1. What motivates us to suffer? And look at verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Again, 
It's important on Wednesday nights that we kind of go over this. If you were to just take this verse at face value, you would, you would think, hey, I'm never going to sin again. Uh, a brother were out there again. Hey, I've been baptized. All my sins have been washed away. It's, everything's good. Yeah, that's true. I don't know about you, but you know, I st still struggle with sin. So Christ, Christ endured suffering, therefore, since he was afflicted in the flesh, Ephesians 3.18 says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, being made alive in the Spirit. So we talked about this last week. God, Christ did it once and for all. It is finished. And so he says, arm. And what he means there is be heavily prepared with the right weapons. A lot of you, you know, uh, uh, wives, you need to kind of talk to your husbands, let them buy guns if they want, you know, but I'm saying you need to see the storehouse they have, so if they go before you, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, think, I think your guys are ready, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, but, but here's the deal. It's talking about a military term to be heavily prepared. And the right weapons. And Ephesians 6, 3 says this, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all this, stand firm. And I encourage you for your homework to get comfortable with Ephesians 6, starting with the verse 3 or 2, because of the fact we need to be armoring up every day. Helmet of salvation. The, the, the belt of truth. We need to strengthen our resolve. We need to arm ourselves with the understanding the will of God. We've got to be in the Word. Um, if you use the wrong ammo in the gun, you're going to get hurt. Maybe not the person. You use the wrong things or you don't have enough of whatever. He's saying get the good stuff. And that's being in the Word. And that's having a relationship with God and having the Holy Spirit. So we need to be prepared. And that, the way we start with, I said, every sin starts with the mind. And I talked about 2 Corinthians 10, 5, that the verse that guides me, that it's basically saying, put every thought into obedience to, to the obedience of Christ, that any thought that enters your mind, you need to stop and ask, is that biblical? What does God's word say about it? Would Christ be okay with it? And if it's not, you need to stop that thought and replace it with those whatsoever's true, whatsoever's holy, those things. Every sin starts with a thought. Jesus said, if you hate somebody, you've already murdered them in your heart. If you've lusted after someone, you've already committed adultery. And you need to treat it that serious. You need to prepare and you need to train your mind. This is what God's word says. Did, I, I, I say it every week. I did not learn these scriptures for you all. I learned each one of them because I needed them to be prepared when I'm attacked and to help other people. And so we, we need to be in prayer, and I'm not going to back down. It's harder for me to learn verses now, and I'm not saying I'm doing the best at it. I got my Bible here. I've got them marked. Try to go over them, but you need to be learning God's Word, and you need to do it however you need to do, and you need to have it there. And, and there, there, there's, there's this ammo for your life. So he says we've got to start with thinking how Christ thinks. We need, to think, we need to have the same attitude. We need to have the same thoughts. We need to have the same purpose. And he was willing to die for us knowing that it produces life. 
And I'm not saying we need to have a death wish, but we're kind of holding everything to life here right now. And we need to look eternally. We'll get to that in a minute. And he says in Philippians 2.5, have the mind of, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have the mind of Christ. Because why do we need to arm ourselves? This is the one we could take out of context. We've ceased from sin. That word could be translated no longer or restrain. I haven't stopped sinning. I'm not trying as much, <laughs> but I haven't stopped sinning. Okay? Um, I say this a lot, we're free to struggle, we don't struggle to be free. Christ is the forerunner uh, who, who completed victory over sin and death, and we are armed with being safe and secure and not afraid of death, and we become dangerous. When somebody, and I'm not talking about I'm not afraid of death, we all have it at some level, and, but when we're not afraid of where we're going, when we know that we're secure in Christ, and I do not believe in cheap grace. That's one of the biggest reasons I waited so long to be a part of this denomination, because I, and I don't believe we're this way. But it got sold a lot. Get your fire insurance and go do whatever you want. That's cheap grace. Costly grace, somebody died. Christ did. Somebody took on our punishment, died, rose from the dead so that we can have victory. And when somebody's paid something that you owed, you love them, and you want to build that relationship with them. And so, but I want us to understand when you're saved, you're saved. And that's what that means. You become dangerous. You become dangerous because it's not, I'm saved because I went to seminary. I'm saved because I attended church 5,000 more, 2 million times. Here's it. When I get to heaven, this is it. Why are you here? Jesus. Period. That makes you dangerous. And that's what he's talking about. Your first feeling, if we're going to be arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, we have to think like Christ. And part of uh, thinking like Christ is, is making the best use of your time. Look at verse 2. So as to live for the rest of your time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So you're saved... You, you're dangerous, now what do you do? Go for it. Use it for the kingdom of God. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Romans 6.14 says, For sin has no dominion over you since you are now not under the law but under grace. That is awesome. And so he uses that word here in verse 2, live, spend the amount of time you have left pursuing right living holiness that may sound boring to you but and I know the younger we are the more we think we're going to live forever and the older we get the more we see the, the, the end there you know and we can get off on either one of there I'm going to live forever or oh just put me in the ground tomorrow you know that kind of thing and both of those are kind of wrong attitudes we just need to go for it we just need to take each breath each day. And I'm talking to myself, and we need to ask the question, am I speaking life or am I speaking death? Am I adding a brick to the kingdom of God or am I putting a wall against the kingdom of God in my life? I know, everything in us, everything in us screams we're going to live forever. Yeah, we are, one place or another, but this physical body, unless Christ return, it's aging, it's going, it's dying. 
Go for it. That's what he's saying here. With the time you have left, I don't know when I'm going to die. You don't know when you're going to die. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm just saying he's telling us here, go for it. Use the time. That is the most valuable commodity you have is your time. And he's saying with the remaining time you have left, you need to do what is right and follow the will of God. No longer your human passions, your lusts, but the will, the desires, the pleasures of God. And sin, and then he goes on and he says sin, talks about no longer sinning, disobeying God, rebelling against God. Titus 2.12 says this, train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Romans 6.11 says this, so, that, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You may need to write a spiritual death certificate. I've done it before, can't find it now. Obviously it worked for me, but whatever works for you on the fact of that's not me anymore. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is Christ, their new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And I know for a lot of us we think being self-controlled and upright, didn't say uptight, but upright, and godly lives in this present age. I'd write that one down, Titus 2.12. 2, I look at it this week because if you're asking the question why we're here, that's it. With the time we have left, how is a dying world going to know what right is if we don't choose with the time that we have left I'm going for it for God. Not spending our, our days uh, in our own desires, opening the door of our lives to the will of God, rejecting human evil desires. It's basically saying here, enough is enough. It's time to stop sinning and start living. Again, I didn't say I've accomplished that I'm not sinning. But we're talking about what we're aiming at. And I'm not, it's not about beating yourself up when you mess up. You ask God's forgiveness and you go on. And if you need to ask somebody else's forgiveness, you do that and you go on. Satan wants to keep you back there because we are dangerous. And he's saying, enough is enough. Stop playing around. You're saved. Go for it. Your next feeling, if we're, if we're going to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, holiness is the goal. Enough with sin. Did not say perfection. I have been taught for so long, oh, i got to do it just right. You know what? I know I'm a hot mess. Not even hot. Okay? <laughs> All right? But here's the, here's the thing. But yet God's grace is there. He's saying holiness is the goal. Doing what is right. Enough is enough. Stop sinning. Why is holiness so important in the midst of suffering? Uh, because... When we are doing what's right, it points people to a righteous God and a God that can, they can see, that person is such a mess, but why do they have that peace in their life? And, you know, I talked about the Joplin tornado, but, and I've worked other tornadoes before in Oklahoma and stuff like that, and I've, I've talked about the fact that they'd be out in the country and the chicken barn would be blown away or whatever, that kind of thing, but I've never seen something like this where 
you know, the devastation, the fact that the soil was pushed up and debris was pushed down in it. And when people had to go rebuild, they had to even go till in the soil to get it right. Just devastation. And then the fact that stuff being rebuilt, you're that person going through this devastation of this fallen world and pointing to that we can be made right with God. That there can be hope, that there can be peace. It's a clear description of the devastated life in our past when they see the holiness of God in our lives. Look at verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Again, two weeks from now, we'll go through this list a little bit more detail, but he's given a summary list. It was a time, it was a season in the, in the past. Acts 17.30 says this, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. I said this last week. God could come right now and it'll all line up. Totally believe it. Because guess what? I don't know how it's all going to line out, and you don't either. We are in the end times. Christ came. The clock is ticking. Christ has ascended. He's going to be coming back. But what we see here in Acts 17.30, the times of ignorance saying, well, I didn't know. God overlooked grace. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Why? We're in a time of grace and they can be over at any time. This is why we need to have the urgency to live right, not because it's going to keep you saved, but it points people to God. They're asking the question, why in this sinful world are you going that way? And that's what I like about the Chosen series and about the t-shirts and the hoodies and stuff that have the fish. And in the opening scene, you see fish going one way and you see fish going the other way. That's what the Christian's doing. They're going towards the direction of God, and people are like, other people are heading towards destruction. They're like, why are you going this way? That's why we're here, to share that there's another way, to help them to know that the times of ignorance have passed, and it's time for repentance. And so he says, the time is, is gone, and he, he uses the word here, um, in the, uh, for the time that passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. That meant it was enough, but now it's over. And when he talks about the Gentiles, he's talking about the multitude. He's talking about the crowd. He's talking about the unconverted. He says that, that he talks about that that is past. When they were walking, let's look at the list for a minute, in sensuality. That means unbridled lust. That means the word outrageous. That means anything goes. I think we're there. Honestly, I don't know what anybody would get arrested for as considered indecent exposure. Do not go. You can't unsee the people of Walmart. Okay, you just can't unsee that. Just don't go there. Pastor went there for you, okay? But I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying, I don't know what somebody would get arrested for as indecent anymore. We're there, but they were there then. He's saying that excessive indulgence in sensual pleasure, license without restraint. He says sensuality. He says passions, the desires, their cravings, anything they want. They're saying is if it feels good, do it. Drunkenness, that's talking about excess, wine bubbling up, habitual intoxication, whether it's, it's drinking or, or drugs, orgies, 
parent, kids ask, <laughs> okay, rioting, that's, that's one term of that, drinking parties, carousing, with the goal is to be drunk. And lawless idolatry, adorable worship of false gods. Well, nobody's worshiping false gods. Are you serious? There's so many false religions now and things people are trying to push, but what we do ignore is anything we put before God is an idol. It can be a relationship, it can be a job, it can be your bank account, it can be yourself. He said this is who you were in the past. He's talking to Christians that are suffering for their faith. It means we are to close the door to godless living and, and to, the, to the lust of men. And we need to be fed up with sin. Enough is enough. We need to grow up. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Putting the past behind... And dying to ourselves, as Galatians 2.20 says, is what he's calling Christians to do here. Enough is enough. We need to move on. And your next fill-in, arming ourselves and having the mind of Christ means it's in the past. Just like that Piggly Wiggly that we robbed. Brother, where art thou? It's in the past. Press on towards the high calling, the mark of Christ Jesus. Devil wants to keep you in your past. Devil wants you to... Think about your past sins and your past mistakes, or I should have, could have, would have. Well, that's not going to work. Press on towards the mark to the high calling of Christ Jesus. Because God doesn't remember it. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he moved your sins from you, when you ask him to forgive you. Let's go on to verse 4. How does the world respond when we don't go with the crowd? Well, they don't respond well. Look at verse 4. With respect to this, they are surprised when we do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. So they don't respect it. Uh, they are like, uh, I respect you have convictions. Some people may. They don't respect it. They're surprised. They think it's strange. And that word means astonished or shocked and sometimes offended. Why do you think they're offended when you don't go their way? Because it's conviction. It is not political that God is about life at any stage. But if we take a stand for life, according to God's word, people are going to get offended. And this is what happens. Why are you not going with us? They're, they're, they're going to be angry, but they're going to be convicted because you're not affirming that it's okay. And it's not about you affirming that it's okay. It's you affirming what God says is okay. And so they're surprised, they're astonished, they're offended that you don't do that, that you don't join, that you don't run together with them. We've all heard it from some of our parents. Well, if Johnny jumped in the lake, would you do? Well, it depends off if it's a swimming day. I don't know. Okay, but you know, that's the thing. Come on, go with us. Come on, do this. We can't because that's part of your witness. How are they going to know what's right if you're going that way and God's this way? And... When, when we don't join or run together with them, then he talk about, why aren't you getting into the flood of debauchery? It doesn't even say debauchery, in other words, giving in to all your passions. 
It's talking about a flood. It's talking about the fact they are sitting in front of the fire hose getting blasted by all their worldly desires. And they're going right into it. And they're like, come on, man, go with the flow. Go with the flood. And it is hard, and it is dangerous to go against floodwaters. But go back to the opening of the chosen. We've got to be those fish going a different direction, going God's direction, because how are they going to know which way to God if they can't tell the difference in our lives? Why aren't you, they're saying, why aren't you giving in to the abandonment and excess and the, to the stampede of pleasure seekers going against the crowd? Ephesians 5.18 says, And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. What it's talking about is don't let the things of the world control you. Let God's Spirit control you. So, he, talk, he goes on to talk about debauchery and talking about being corrupt. And, and like I talked about the... And then notice what happens. They're not only surprised and offended that you don't get with, go with them, now they're going to start maligning you. And I know you all get maligned, and you use the word maligned all the time. Don't you malign me. Did you just now malign me? I can't believe you maligned me. Try that in your, your uh, conversation. I had a challenge from one of my sassy soccer people, they, they wanted me to say this in a sermon, sweet sassy molasses. So I said it, okay? I don't make any sense, but you know, here's the malign you, okay? Speak evil of. Let's use abortion as an example. We're horrible people and we want to hurt women. I think people need to research what this does psychologically to women after they have an abortion. And how they live with that for years. I think they need to research the whole industry, how, been it's, uh, how it's been aligned to destroy women and to destroy races. Planned Parenthood, I'm calling you out. If you look at the history of that, it was to make money and to destroy women and races. And I'm not making that up, and that's not political. Those are facts. But that's not popular. I don't want any woman to be hurt. I don't want any child to be hurt. I don't want anyone to be hurt. But we're evil. And we're going to get spoken bad of, and we're going to, our integrity is going to be challenged, and we're going to be misquoted. And again, provide all things honest in the sight of all men. If you've done what you needed to do, you go with God. And so it, it's giving in to peer pressure. Go jump in the lake. And we need to bear up against the world. And the only way we can do that is through God. The, here's how the process of this spiritual peer pressure works. We stand against the flood. They're surprised by what we're doing, that we're not doing with this. So then they mock us, and we're tempted again to sin. See, we've got to be aware. Well, man, that didn't feel good because they think I'm this horrible person, so I just might as well shut up, or I just better go along to get along. And that is where the American church is today, and shame on us. I love everybody here. But I have to answer for what I present to you and what I don't present to you. And I am not taking sections of scripture out of this Bible to please you. And I'm no better than anybody else. But somebody is not reading the whole word of God if we're taking whole sections out or saying they're cultural when it's obvious that they're biblical. 
I am not getting next to that fire. Because I've got to answer for what I give to you or what I don't give to you. But that pressure, I stood for what's right. They're surprised. Then they talked bad about me. Okay, I'll back off. Well, if that's your pastor's choice, what about you, Christian? I, you know, I know I'm a pastor, but I want to be a godly man first. And you need to be a godly Christian. And that means don't, I'm not talking about beat somebody up on an issue. I wouldn't talk about the issues as much as the fact of need for Christ and how he's led you there. But so many people in the American church are backing off when there's any kind of pressure. And this is why I talk about going to Voice of the Martyrs and listening to those podcasts. Do you realize that, that persecution thins out the real church from the fake church, which I think that's happening in America, and they've got to be able to see the fish going the right way. But so many times we do good till the insults hit, or the evil talks hit. I want to run too. I, in my stage of life, I don't want to be bothered. But that's not right. Why are we still here? What are we doing with the time that we have left? The lost cannot understand the gospel on their own, and they, they can only falsely accuse. They are going to falsely accuse, and you are living the life of the gospel. Time is running out, and the bill is going to have to be paid, and there's not going to be an excuse. Look at verse 5. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They will give. It will be delivered to them an account a wording of what they have done, just like we were facing an account before we received Christ. And he is ready to judge, to determine the living who will receive eternal life, real life, and who will receive eternal death, spiritually dead without God. Acts 10.42 says this, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And you want God to judge. You don't want man to judge because man is biased, man is sinful, but God sees all, God knows all, and God is the perfect judge. If we're going, your next fill-in, if we're going to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, we cannot be focused on the insults but Christ. And boy, do I want to focus on the insults. It is hard for me. You may think I'm tough as anything. Yeah, right. I can't stand it when somebody's upset with me. I can't stand it when somebody's misunderstanding. But here's the deal I've had to get with. Am I good with God? Did I love these people? Was I gracious? And this is where I need accountability, too, because I can be self-righteous, like, hey, who cares what you think? I did what was right. No, that's wrong. Of my I have to start with I could be wrong. But if I have searched my heart and searched God's word and the Holy Spirit has confirmed it and plus accountability with Christian men and women that will hold me accountable and say, no, you were bad there. I'm going to go with God. If we're going to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, we cannot be focused on the insults. But so many times they did this to me and this to me and it hurts. Are you good with God? What is the motivation? Look at verse 6 as we get ready to conclude here. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who were dead, that, through, that though judged in the flesh, flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So what we see here, 
is, the, he, we talked about this last week, the preaching, the proclaiming the good news that he has won victory over death, hell, and the grave. And he was talking about those fallen angels that had already been judged. But the fact that we, what is being, that we might enjoy real life through the Holy Spirit, the, ex, the more excellent way. Don't be afraid to suffer. No death brings ultimate victory. Everlasting life in heaven. Nothing can steal this living hope, even if they take our life, because we are free. Now, do I have a death wish? Not at all. Not at all. God has instilled in us an instinct to want to live. And that's why I feel somebody that commits suicide is not in their right mind because God naturally has put in our instinct that, that will to live. But what about that will to live eternally with God? This is why we're here, Christians. Some things I want you to think about as we get ready to conclude here. Christ having died, uh, having, Christians having died to Christ, we are legally free from sin. We're no longer bound. We, uh, we can strive in practice to, to be ambassadors for Christ. We need to be light and darkness. We need to live, Top Gun coming up this week in the danger zone. Come on. You're that asleep, okay? Fly you to the danger zone. We need to live in the danger zone because we're already in the danger zone, but some of us are like, put me in my Christian bubble. I was at Chick-fil-A the other day, and they had this thing. It was raining. and went over them, had little arms like a robot. That's what we try to do is, oh, I don't want the rain of sin to get on me, so just put me in my little bubble, and maybe you can see my Christian T-shirt. and Get saved, you lost person. No! Get in there. We don't have to fly you to the danger zone. We're in the danger zone. We're behind enemy lights, and the reason we're still here is you have the words of life and death. Wake up and smell the coffee, Christian. I've been percolating coffee, and it's good. All right, but... Even though you old people don't know how to do it, I was asking you, and I had to Google it, and half of you had to Google it. Not bitter, better. Now let's get back to the invitation. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's why you stay awake sometimes. Have noble character. Live, an un live a changed life. Live in the joy today and the joy of someday. Think about that for a minute. Your witness is the joy of the Lord is my strength, and my joy is that someday I won't struggle with sin. Someday, everything will be made right. Someday, there will be no more tears. <laughs> don't, <laughs> yeah, don't ask Heather how I was crying like a schoolgirl at the Downton Abbey movie. We won't get into that. Okay, but, okay. but today, yeah, whatever. Today, this season, I've got some questions for you. Are you thinking like Christ? I got to be prepped. The sky is falling. Yeah, it is, and we need flour and coffee, but we need Jesus more. Is holiness your goal? Well, I'm going to go along to get along. Well, how in the world do statistics show that they can't see the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian? That makes me wonder, did you ever find Christ? Is holiness your goal? Because he said, with the time you got left, do what's right. Enough is enough. Stop sinning. Are you keeping, are you keeping the past in the past? There's a reason you can't go back to those things. There's a reason Satan wants you to live in the past. No Uncle Rico's here. We need to go forward for those of you who know Napoleon Dynamite. Are you focused on the insults? I did good. I stood for what's right. But they still didn't like it, so... Mm. 
not just for the pastor. I can't save, I can't get the message to everybody. My job is Ephesians 4.12 to encourage and to equip you. And I've got, I tell you about the, yeah, you're part of my mission, Phil. But then God's given me about six people, actually six or seven, eight, eight people that make my head hurt. That it's like, yeah, I'd rather not talk to you about that, but here I am. Are you focused on the insults? And are you living today for someday for forever? As we stand on our feet and have a time of invitation,